It's always sweet when the Lord just speaks a fresh word for the right now. When you don't need to plan it because you can't. You don't know. And then he speaks. I'm encouraged. I'm refreshed. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Billy Gifford. I am the executive pastor on staff here. Uh, and uh, we'll, I'll have to go ahead and have the ushers come forward. Uh, we'll take up the offerings right now. And just a quick word on the offering. God loves a cheerful giver. That's all I will say about that. Um, really, because I want to take the time to <clears throat> share a little bit of what's been happening in the Gifford house. Uh, some personal life stuff. And that's because uh, just a few weeks ago, the Giffords introduced another human being to our family. So I, I have to take this time to introduce, uh, we have a picture of our daughter. She's now a month old. Her name is Emery Josephine Gifford. Yeah, she's the cutest. Uh, I mean, gosh, I, I do feel like our house is overloaded with cute that I'm like, surely something's going to break. Just it's too cute. Um, but man, she's been such a blessing to us. Just, yeah, she's just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just, just take a moment right there. Emery Josephine, she's beautiful. Um, yeah. So my wife is at home, Cheryl, just hats off to her, just, uh, wrangling three of them right now. Uh, they're all under three or three and a half and under. So hands are full. Okay. But not only that, I have another personal update and this is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Meaning, okay, not death, <clears throat> meaning, so last Wednesday, my grandma turned 100 years old. So I have a picture of my grandma. I just wanted to honor her. I think she's watching online. So it's my personal opinion. Uh, there's one more picture of my grandma because she's cute. There you go. <laughs> that was a few years ago when she was younger, like 96 or something like that. She's 100 years old. Uh, and I feel like if you, if you turn 100... You just deserve a Nobel Peace Prize or, or, I don't know, something. Just something that's like, okay, that's big. Uh, and so I just wanted to honor my grandma, 100 years old. We call her Gigi. Yeah, she is a trooper. Still going strong. She's amazing. Okay, well, that's a little personal update. Uh, the young and the old coming together. Um, but I'm going to take a few minutes just to catch us up from kind of where we left off in the past three, I guess four weeks, uh, go, kicking off the new year, we started a corporate fast, and not just a local Antioch church college station fast, but really a movement-wide fast. And, and if you didn't know, uh, this church is part of a larger network of churches called the Antioch Movement. I think that's what it's called, it's the movement of Antioch, I don't know. Uh, we have other churches, is what I'm saying. <clears throat> and what led to that fast was really a prophetic word that, uh, that our leaders got, um, a while back about um, uh, the, what God was doing with us as a movement. And it was likened, the analogy was likening us to the Queen Mary from World War II, which was a cruise liner that was conscripted from doing that to become a troop carrier <clears throat> for the war. And the message to the Antioch movement being God was taking us and conscripting us and not allowing us to be just a comfortable cruise liner, but making us a troop carrier to send soldiers to the front lines of the battle. Spiritually speaking, okay? And so near the end of 2021, uh, diving a little deeper from that word, some of our movement leaders got a word within that word about the boiler room within the Queen Mary boat, which is like what powered the boat to make it go fast. And the boiler room in the Queen Mary was the largest of its day. And because of that, it made it go faster than all the other boats of its kind. And it could outrun the enemy ships. And from that... We just sensed the Lord was speaking and connecting that to 
prayer. And that prayer was the thing, was our boiler room. And if we were faithful to sow into prayer, then that would give us fuel to make, the, make it the long haul, to win the war, really. And so our hope and prayer as a local church these past uh, three or four weeks, uh, as we were fasting, was that the Lord would meet us and give us a fire for freedom, for hunger, and for power in our midst, and for power. And we're going to sort of talk about the power part, but the, the whole point of that really is that it was the place of prayer that stemmed all of this, that we need to return to that simplicity of prayer. And I just love that. Just when God speaks a word, it's not like something brand new. It's just like, reminder, pray. Don't forget to pray. And if you were here last week, Tyler kicked us off with this brand new vision statement for the church. And it was a big Sunday. It may not have felt like a big Sunday, but I think looking back in the future, we'll look back and say that was a monumental Sunday because... <clears throat> And I just felt like it was fitting as well, coming off of the fast, because we just sensed the change happening. And I wouldn't say a turning, but however you define it, some sort of change was taking place that would give us the fuel to make it the long haul, to go all the way to the end. And so uh, I'm going to repeat the vision statement just in case you didn't catch it. If you're ever wondering, hey, what's this church about? Where are we going? What do we set before us that motivates us for why We do church and why we make disciples and all that. Here it is. Our vision statement is this. To present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return. To present to Christ a radiant church ready for his return. So when thinking about our vision statement, you know, five years into the future is not enough. Ten years, 50 years, 100 years was not enough for us. We're like, no, no, no. We need to see all the way into eternity when Christ comes back and reigns and rules on this earth. Because one day this building will be gone, this The new building will be gone. The trees will be gone. Everything will be gone. The heavens and earth will pass away. And we wanted to focus in on, hey, what's going to remain and what really matters? Let that be what we set before us all the days of our lives and help that motivate us to follow Jesus while we're here on this earth. So we're going to spend plenty of time unpacking that throughout the rest of this year and probably the many years to come. So today we're introducing a new series called The Radiance of His Glory. The Radiance of His Glory. It's going to be about eight-ish weeks, somewhere in there. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a radiant church, specifically through looking at the life of Jesus in the gospel and how He radiated the glory of God. So our staple verse will be Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read it to you, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Hebrews 1, it says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, In many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. In verse three, and he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Amen. So when you hear radiance of his glory... You don't actually have to wonder what that means. I mean, we're going to spend a whole lot of time unpacking that this morning. But it's pretty clear, according to Hebrews, it means that Jesus was the exact representation of the Father. He shined forth the glory of God in every area of his life. And it's because, that Christ, it's because Christ came and radiated the glory of God that we were actually able to see what God is actually like. Without that, we would have a lot of questions about the character and nature of God. Who is this God? We only have a few stories in the Old Testament, but we wanted to see, if you want the fullness of who God is, look at Christ. 
Let me read you another interaction that Jesus had with his disciples in John chapter 14. You can turn with me or it'll be on the screen. John chapter 14, starting at verse one. He says to his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Amen. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have, seen, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Okay, so Jesus is making a monumental claim right there. Did you catch what it was? Is that he and God the Father are one. They are one. Not only that, but if we see the life of Jesus, he expected his disciples to know that if they looked at the life of Jesus, we'd be able to say, that is exactly what God is like. God the Father is just like that. If we hear the words of Jesus, we have heard the words of God Almighty himself. A couple more scriptures, just to pound it in. John 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 18. Jesus says, I am he who testifi- testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Same message. John 5, 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same way. John 12, 49. For I did not speak on my own, but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Okay, so what is clear from these scriptures is very simply the proof of Hebrews 1, 3. When we say Jesus was the radiance of his glory... It simply means that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. That is what radiance means. It's making the invisible now visible. And so if we want to be a radiant church, we have to look like Jesus. I'll put it this way. To see God, look at Christ. To see Christ, look at the Christian. Christ radiates the Father. Christians radiate the Christ. And when we see that, it should very, what should follow is that our ultimate goal in life, answering that big question, should be to become like Christ in every area of our life. That is our ultimate end goal. Our goal is not to get to heaven one day. Uh, if, if just getting to heaven one day is your only goal and hope, and as a Christian, that's like the thing you're looking forward to, how does that make you different than basically everyone else? I mean, if everyone had to choose heaven or hell, I mean, everyone's going to choose heaven. 
It, if you would prefer to live in a mansion versus a garbage dump, that doesn't make you spiritual. It doesn't make you holy. That's not what it's about. So it's, it's something else. Let me read Romans 8, 28 and 29. Paul's writing to the Romans and he says this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So here we see it's not a question about going to heaven, but it's about being conformed to the image of Christ. And so I want us to really get some clarity on this verse and really break it down. What is God predestined for my life? What is my ultimate destiny? To be conformed to the image of Christ. So when we say yes to following Jesus, when we repent of our sins, put faith in the work of the cross, we are saying yes to a predetermined destination. And that destination is to become like Jesus in everything, to look like Christ. When you buy a plane ticket, the destination is already determined, right? You don't buy a plane ticket wondering where you're going. <laughs> you can always just look at the ticket stub. You don't answer, oh, you're going to Dallas or wherever you're going. And so you know if you're on your way, you know if you're on the right plane, you know if you get there. And so in the same way, the Christian's goal, the end goal, the destination is to be like Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, is that my goal in life? Is that really my goal? Because a radiant church looks just like Jesus. I don't mind repeating myself. <laughs> I want us to really get it. There are, are plenty of other wonderful goals for the Christian life, whether that's a generic goal for all Christians like evangelism, helping the poor, I don't know, uh, transforming a city. They're all great. Or if it's a specific thing, that's like your specific calling in life, like uh, calling to the business realm or to politics or to education or to raising a family or to be a missionary in Zimbabwe, whatever it is. But we need to be honest and ask ourselves, does this goal come before the primary goal? Is this goal secondary to that, of, of, that goal of becoming like Jesus? You can find out by, saying, by asking yourself this question. What do I worry about more? Do I worry about what I'm supposed to be doing in life? Or do I worry about, wow, when that little bit of anger came up, that worried me. And I want to purify my life. That is the ultimate goal. And if we have our priorities off, then we could be content just going halfway and not really getting to where God has called us to go. If we think he's just calling us to ministry type things or external things, we've missed it. Amen. Uh, my wife and I, Cheryl, we, I, I think I've shared this before, but we went to Central Asia in the summer of 2019. And so our daughter Adeline was turning one year old, one years, one years, one year old. On that trip. Anyways, we had our party in Central Asia. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but on the first flight of the, the first leg of the flight, we left from Bush Intercontinental. And it's a late flight, so we're like, this is perfect. Uh, we're going to put Adeline to sleep. She's going to sleep right when it's, it's dark, and we'll just fly 13 hours. She'll sleep the whole way. It's going to be perfect. Um, and it was. Not at all. <laughs> About a couple hours into the flight, there was another person, I think it was a child, who was kind of having a panic attack. It was, it was scary. Uh, it ended up being a medical emergency, so we had to land the plane. So we landed the plane in Indianapolis, and we stayed on that tarmac for four to five hours. Oh 
with a one-year-old, trying to sleep, but it's like the cabin lights are on, it's like, and we're just sitting there for four hours. It's brutal. Anyways, this delay caused us to then miss our connecting flight in Turkey, naturally. And so when we land in Turkey, uh, we had to get a hotel and, and, and just deal with that with a one-year-old, and half of her stuff is like not with us because it's gone. Okay, so how crazy would we be if we got to Turkey and we're like, all right, we're here, and just set up shop in that hotel? We would be crazy, right? Because that's not where we're going. That's a, it's a pit stop. Because I knew our destination was Central Asia, not Turkey, a couple things. One, I really didn't worry about how comfortable we were, right, in that little stop, although that hotel was actually really nice. Um, but two, uh, it actually helped me to keep going, meaning I woke up the next morning knowing I got to get up and we got to keep going. It helped me not to settle. And so our end goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I don't want any of us to stop short of that and just do church, just go to life group, just go on mission trips, just go do conferences, just do ADS, or even further than that, go just and fulfill the earthly calling on your life. If you have a calling to Zimbabwe and you go and you start a ministry there and you, and you create this giant movement or whatever, you fulfill that calling, you still would have missed it if you do not be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why Paul said, I keep going. I've, Paul fulfilled his calling, right? I don't know. Anyone's going to argue with that. And he said, what do I do? I press on to that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I got, I got more to do. And that is exactly what Paul strived for in his life. In Galatians 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul says this. He's writing to the Galatians. He says, God set me apart and called me through his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me. And so I just, what I want to point out here is that it's not just he, re, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. That does happen. That did happen to Paul, Damascus Road. But he saw by the grace of God that it was pleasing to the Father that Christ be revealed in his people. So it was personal for him. But then he goes beyond that to the people of God. He says in Galatians chapter 4, speaking a gentle rebuke, he says, chapter 4, verse 19, My children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. Read that slowly. Paul labored for what? When would he be able to say he got the church to her destination? When Christ was formed in them. He says the same thing to the Colossians. Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. He labored and strived, not for acceptance with God. That's the blood of Jesus. That's free. But he labored and strived that the people of God would be mature, complete in Christ, looking like Jesus so they can radiate the glory of God for the world to see. And so our aim, our goal, our destination in this life is to be like Jesus. And once we start following Jesus, really the rest of our Christian pilgrimage is just figuring out how to do that, to become like Christ. It's called sanctification. Sanctification just means being separated, set apart, 
from what exactly? Everything that is unchristlike. And that is what it means to be the radiance of his glory, to be set apart, to look like Jesus. Okay, so the question then is, well, how do we radiate the glory of God? If that's the goal, how do we radiate? How can we practically see this accomplished in our lives? Well, let me ask you this. How does the sun radiate light and heat? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I know. There, I'm sure there's some awesome example analogy there, something about thermodynamics, but my knowledge caps there, so... I'm sure someone will do the research in Revelation. It's like, oh, look at this, the sun and whatever. I don't have that. So instead, I'm going to pull from something else, which is the word of God. <laughs> Jesus, the living word of God. How did Jesus radiate the glory of God? And if we find the answer to this question, we found the answer. And I want to start by seeing something about the nature of Christ. And really, it's a lesser known title of Jesus within the book of Hebrews that will shed some light on this. And that is Jesus as our forerunner. We've heard Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, Redeemer. There's plenty more titles. But here's one he says that he is our forerunner. So what does that mean? Well, we've heard this phrase before, right? About John the Baptist. In Luke 1:17. it says, John the Baptist will go as a forerunner before him to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so John the Baptist was called a forerunner because he was going before the people of God to make ready, make them ready for the coming of the Lord. He was blazing the trail so that they could follow in his wake. I mean, the literal definition of forerunner just means one who goes ahead where the rest are to follow. Okay? And in Hebrews 6, verse 20, Jesus is called our forerunner. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and reliable, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. It's in the book of Hebrews that we get a lot of insight on the life of Jesus, and specifically his humanity. There's a lot of insight there. I'll point out a couple. Hebrews 2.17 says, He was made like us in all things. You've got to think about that one. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted like us in all things. Again, that'll, that'll make you tilt your head like, huh. And it doesn't take long to see that as our forerunner, he was made just like us and had the same limitations that we had. He ran the same race on the same track that we have to run. That's what it, that's what it, what it means. Or else he couldn't be our forerunner if he was on a different track. That's why it says in Hebrews 12.1, let us... Run this race looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Okay, so what does that mean for us practically? It means we can no longer say, I'm only human. <laughs> That's out. So is Jesus, right? Jesus was 100% God. If you were to say Jesus was not 100% God, that'd be a heresy. He was also 100% man. If you don't say that he was 100% man, that's also a heresy. So it means we, can, we cannot say, well, we're just human. So how did he not sin? How did he overcome sin and radiate the glory of God so perfectly in every interaction if he didn't use his God power? <laughs> well, that's exactly the thing we need to realize. He didn't use his resources as God to overcome sin and to radiate. 
He didn't use his deity to shine forth the glory of God. And here's something you think about. If he did, he could not tell us, follow me. Let me give you an example. It would be like a wealthy businessman going to a third world country and with a mission of teaching them and showing them how to build a better community there. And this guy's a millionaire, got a credit card, and he gets down there and says, all right, guys, I'm going to show you how to do it. Swipe of the credit card, builds the whole thing. That community would be like, that looks great. We can't do that. We don't have that credit card. We don't have the money. So how would he accomplish that? He'd not access his resources. He'd put away his credit card. He'd roll up his sleeves. So, all right, never mind. Let's do it like this. And he would show them from the ground up how to build a better, sustainable, improved society. Then he could say, hey, follow me in building this community and you can do it. And they could do it. Or it'd be like uh, getting into a high access, high security place. And if I had the, the security card to get in, I swipe, I'm in. If I tell Tyler, hey, come follow me, and he didn't have the card, it's like, well, dude, I can't get in. I don't have that card. Does that make sense? Are you following? Yeah. Okay, he, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Actually, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, at, uh, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did not use his credit card. He came down from heaven. He subjected himself to the same limitations that we have in everything. And because he did this, he can say, follow me. When it says he took on the likeness of men, it cannot mean that he just had the same bone structure, general feel, that he looked like us, that he was tired like us, and he needed to eat like us. The likeness of men he took on was the flesh. In other words, a self-will. Ah, now we can start to relate. We all have one of those. We like that. We want things done our way, right? See, Jesus had that. He had that too. You know, it'd be like, another example, it'd be like um, us climbing a mountain with a heavy load on our back and then our guide without the heavy load on his back saying, hey, follow me. And he just hops up there and leaps and we're like, can't do that. We got a, we got a heavy load, you know? I, the, the image that came to my mind when I was thinking about this was Legolas walking in the snow, right? You know what I'm talking about? Fellowship of the Rings? They're going up that mountain and Legolas is just walking on the snow like it's no big deal and Frodo's like up to here in the snow. It's like, well, we can't follow you, Legolas. We're not elves. We weigh something. I don't know if that was what was going on. But that is the only way that he could be tempted like us in every way and be made like us in every way. You see, God cannot be tempted. Scripture is clear about that. But Jesus, putting aside all that, as a man, could be tempted. He was tempted in the wilderness and more. So he felt the temptations. He felt the pool of sin. He felt the darkness try to come around and, and, and put out his radiant light. He was tempted like me, like us, got tired like us, got hungry like us, needed to sleep like us. You name it. The temptation to fear, to be anxious, to get angry, to lust. You name it. He was tempted like us in all points. Yet he overcame. He never sinned. Not once. 
So he felt that pool of the law of sin and death, yet did not sin. John 1, verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, so if Jesus didn't use his deity uh, to radiate the glory of God, how did he do it? And the answer is this, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is our answer to the question. How do we radiate the glory of God? By the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, 38, Peter says this, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. You see, Jesus himself needed to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit in order to radiate the glory of God like we see him doing in the Gospels. In Luke 3, he shows up to the River Jordan. He gets baptized and it says this, while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came down from heaven. You are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Not too shortly after that, Luke chapter 4, He's in the temple reading the Bible. He opens a scroll to Isaiah and he reads this. Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back, and he said to them, This scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing. In the coming weeks, throughout this series, we're going to be uh, looking at interactions that Jesus had with different groups and types of people, and really in the hopes to learn what it means to radiate the glory of God. What did it look like when he interacted with X, Y, or Z? That is what radiance looks like. And he is, if we think of who can we follow who's full of the Holy Spirit, it should be obvious that Jesus is the best example. You know, we can look at someone we know, a preacher we like, or even the Apostle Paul, but ultimately, Jesus is our best example. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. It was because he was full of the Holy Spirit that he could love sinners with grace and truth. It was because he was full of the Holy Spirit that he could rebuke the Pharisees for their pride and hypocrisy, that boldness within him. It's because he was full of the Holy Spirit that he could reach out and touch the untouchables and heal the sick and the diseased. That he could cast out demons with a word or that he could combat the devil in his lies. It was because he was full of the Holy Spirit that he could radiate the glory of God for all to see. It was because he was full of the Holy Spirit that he could say to his disciples, follow me. Not because he played his God card. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit with a helpless dependence upon God. And if Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit for his life, how much more do we? Amen? We need to receive the Holy Spirit. This was such an important aspect. It is such an important aspect of the Christian life that um, it was actually the indicator that God spoke to John the Baptist about who the Messiah was going to be. John the Baptist didn't know. God had to tell him, hey, this is how you'll know who the Messiah is. He says this in John 1, 32 to 34. 
And John testified saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And he remained on him, Jesus. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I testify, I've seen this is the son of God. It wasn't whoever you see is the nicest guy, John, or whoever can boldly rebuke the traditions of men. It was whoever you see the Holy Spirit descending upon and remaining. That's the guy. And all throughout the Gospels, it is repeated that Jesus would be the one to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. And to drive the point home, Jesus himself told his disciples after the resurrection, before his ascension, that in between time, he told them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit before they went out and tried to do all the things he'd been talking about. In Acts chapter one, verse four, gathering them, the disciples together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the father had promised, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He commanded them. So we, we ended the book of Matthew, right? Go and make disciples. But wait, <laughs> they didn't go immediately. They had to wait for something and it was the power of the Holy Spirit. He was saying to his disciples, I don't want you to go and try to burn without, being, without having the fuel. Like I don't want you to try to shine without being connected to the power. Uh, not, not too long ago, I was trying to fix my floodlight in my uh, driveway. The light, it was out, yeah. And motion detector wasn't working. I was just like doing this thing. I'm like, man, surely it used to be working. Anyways, uh, it's an old one, so it took me a while to find the different light bulb, right? Obviously, the light bulb is out. So I replaced the light bulb, still nothing. And I'm like, there's a switch. And I'm like, the switch is on, nothing. So I end up just buying a brand new floodlight. And I just rewire the thing. I'm like, this is it. Did it, DIY, and flip it on, and still nothing. And I'm like, okay, maybe the setting's off. And I'm like, you know, tweaking the settings, nothing. And I gave up. I was like, man, I'm going to have to call Chris Surface to come help me or something. <laughs> uh, and so weeks go by, literally, I gave up, and I'm like flipping through, uh, doing some other things, and I go to the breaker, and I realize there was a breaker that was off that was unlabeled. And I flip it on, and sure enough, poof, light. And I was like, oh, someone had turned the power off. I probably did. I just didn't realize it. But the message is very clear. If you're not connected to the power, you're not going to shine. You can think of the power of the Holy Spirit like electricity. And we're the light bulbs. It's only when electricity flows in that light bulb is it going to shine. It may have the capacity to, but it's not going to burn unless you have that power. Even if it strives, it tries. I mean, I tried. And it, it doesn't matter. All the things I could do, if it, it was not connected to the power, it didn't matter what I did. <clears throat> and that's why in the book of Acts, whenever the apostles preached the gospel, when they started the early church and people came to know the Lord, they made sure, they made very sure that those people had been baptized in the Holy Spirit because they knew you're not going to be able to do this life without it. When we read that Philip, when he went to Samaria, he was proclaiming Christ and there that many believed. Many believed Philip. He was preaching the good news. They came to the Lord and it says he even baptized some of them, which is right. Philip is not going to baptize someone who's not born again. And it says this in Acts 13. 
But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. But we read in the very next verse that they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, 14. <clears throat> now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. So they received the word of God who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here were people who were born again, water baptized, but they had not yet received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If they had died, they'd gone to heaven. That wasn't the question. Just like the thief on the cross. He didn't get water baptism or spirit baptism. But Jesus said, hey, you're going to be with me in paradise. But they could not be effective witnesses and live effective lives for the Lord on this earth had they not received the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses, not just bear witness, well, we can bear witness with our words, the external things, but be a witness internally, having that pure life. And if we want the power to be a witness for Christ, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Too many Christians are operating like a car firing on just a few cylinders. The cylinder of faith, maybe that's all you got. Or faith and repentance, two cylinders. Or faith and water baptism, which I find is most Christians. But we need faith, we need repentance, we need to be baptized in water, and we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, firing on all cylinders to really live the life that God intended us to live, to have the power that God intended us to have while on this earth. He never intended Christians just to have faith or just have one of those things. That's not the pattern in the book of Acts. And when we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit... Our innermost being is transformed. That inner man starts to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that is when people get to experience and we get to experience the rivers of living water flowing from within us. So that leads to the last question. How do we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? How do we do that? Is it automatic? I won't spend too long on this, um, really, because I don't think I need to. It's, it's actually quite simple. I'll mention two things. You need faith and you need thirst. Faith and thirst. In Acts 2, verse 38, this is after Pentecost. Peter's bringing some clarity because it's a confusing time for a lot of people. And he said to them this, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here we see that you receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit by the same means. Did you receive forgiveness of sins through prayer and fasting? No. Through good works? No. Through faith. It was through faith. And you received the Holy Spirit in the exact same way. In other words, if you're qualified to receive the forgiveness of sins, you are qualified to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's either because you weren't taught it and you don't know about it, or you didn't have faith for it. I mean, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed worldwide. It, everyone talks about that in the Christian circles. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is less proclaimed, is less, there's less knowledge about it, so maybe that's why we don't 
believe it as much. In Galatians, Paul says this. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It's pretty clear right here. How did they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? By faith. They heard, they believed, and they received the baptism. They didn't try to be good enough. They just needed faith. And secondly, thirst. John 7, 37 through 39. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone, anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so what does thirst mean? It means just simply to have a sense of need, to have a sense of need. So again, to liken it to forgiveness, since we can understand forgiveness of sins, we can't proclaim forgiveness of sins to someone who doesn't have that sense of need to be forgiven of sin. If people feel great, if your message to them is, hey, God loves you and you're fine, well, then they're like, great. Then they don't even see sin as something they need to be forgiven of. There's no sense of need. But once they realize they've sinned against the holy God, then the message of forgiveness goes forth. They sense that need and they're actually asking, what must I do to be saved? And then you can say, here is forgiveness to the cross. In the same way, in the same way, those who don't sense that need for power won't come to Jesus for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If we don't sense that need to live this life effectively for the Lord, and we think our human giftings and human capabilities and our programs and our strategies are enough, we're going to miss out. We need to learn what it means to thirst, to sense that need in your life. Say, wow, I want to be more like Jesus. I need that power. I need the Spirit of God to come upon me for that. And if you come to Jesus with faith, the one who baptized in the Holy Spirit, and is thirst to be filled, he will fill you. Amen. He will. And if you keep asking, and you keep seeking, and you keep knocking, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so do you have faith that he will fill you? Do you thirst for the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed into the image of Christ? If that is you, then his word to you right now is this. Come to me and drink. It's as simple as that. We come to Jesus and we say, Lord, I believe and I am pretty thirsty for that power. And he will fill you. And then he will begin to radiate the glory of God, just like Jesus did. We'll get the band to come on up. Well, in closing, as the band comes up, I, I want to emphasize the point one more time. I'm okay with repetition. There is a picture in Genesis 1 that I've seen that touches on this. <clears throat> and in the beginning, the earth was void and dark and without form, and darkness covers the, covered the surfaces. That's what it says. But then it says this. The Spirit of God began to move over the waters. So his word went forth, and then his Spirit went forth. When you were dark and empty and without God, the Spirit of God began to move over you. And then someone gave you the word. Someone preached the gospel and light came into your heart and you were born again. Praise God. But was that the end of the story? No, that was the very beginning of the story. That's day one. And many Christians stop at day one. They receive uh, the forgiveness of sins. They believe in Christ. Boom, light has come into their life. 
They are born again, day one, let's go. And they bring others into that experience. But what about the rest of the week? And what happened? Well, God continued to speak. The spirit continued to move. Light had to be separated from darkness. And what we find is that day by day, the word of God went forth and the spirit of God went forth in a little bit better. God made things a little bit better and then a little bit better and then a little bit better. And so finally on the sixth day, man was made in the image of God. And isn't that our goal? To be made in his image? And what we learn here is that God will not rest. It says in Genesis 2, he finally rested. But God won't rest until we are made in the image of his son. He won't rest. The spirit of God will not rest until we are made in his image, made just like him. And when the spirit of God moves over us, we can radiate the glory of God. And that's our goal. If you accomplish all these other things in life but miss this, you have missed it. Let's go ahead and stand. Can I go ahead and get some of the life group leaders to come up and serve as ministry team? What we'd like to do is at the end of service is just provide a space for if the Lord is speaking to you to come and receive prayer. Um, I'm gonna read one more verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The Spirit of God is transforming us. You know, going back to that, I shared in the beginning this prophetic word about conscription and the Queen Mary, there is a significance even about just the name, Queen Mary. When you think through the Gospels, Mary, you know, why did the Holy Spirit have to come upon Mary? Like, what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary? It was to produce the life of Christ within her. And that's a picture for us today. The Holy Spirit has come upon us to produce the life of Christ within us. And just like it would be impossible for Mary to conceive a child without the Holy Spirit coming upon her, it is impossible for us to radiate the glory of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I urge you this morning to receive the Holy Spirit. I urge you to receive the Holy Spirit. If you need prayer for, you know, I'll say this. Oftentimes when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is preached, the gifts of the Holy Spirit follow. So if you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you just need a word of God from someone, just come up here. It's full confidence. They'll pray for you. If you need salvation, come up here. Just tell them. For the majority of you who are going to stay in your seats, ask Jesus to lay his hands on you and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You don't, I mean, feel free to pray for one another. I will say this, you don't need to have someone pray for you. You can say, Jesus, I want your nail-pierced hands on my head right now. You pray for me. It says he will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's what we want. So go ahead and start making your way. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. I'm gonna pray for us. Lord, we just humble ourselves before you and we just admit that we're just a branch.
and that without being connected to the vine, to the power, we can do nothing. We can produce no fruit. We can produce no power, Lord. But Jesus, we cry out. We say, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the power to look like you in every area, to speak like you, to, to think like you. Would you anoint us with the Holy Spirit this morning? Lord, we see that you humbled yourself. You submitted to God and you were filled with power by the Holy Spirit. Help us do the same, the exact same. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.